Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Dedicated with Doug Brunt. You have just gained access to an exclusive insider's look at the lives and works of some of your favorite authors and hear conversations with the world's greatest writers as they discuss their writing lifestyle, creative process, latest work, and behind-the-scenes revelations. Welcome to Dedicated. I'm your host, Doug Brunt. If you ever listen to audiobooks, you'll recognize the voice you're about to hear. Scott Brick has narrated more than 900 audiobooks and worked with the biggest names in the business, including John Grisham, Nelson DeMille, Robert Ludlam, Michael Crichton, Eric Larson, David Baldacci, Lee Child, and many, many others. He's won more than 60 Earphones Awards, five Audi Awards. He has a Grammy nomination. And in 2018, he was inducted into the Audible Narrator Hall of Fame. Within the industry, he's known simply as the Golden Voice. Scott, welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm I'm just laughing. I um I really should get that all printed up on a T-shirt. That would be that would be marvelous. You know, thank you. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Well, you're a legend in the business, and I'm excited to have you on the show because it gives our listeners a new perspective and me a new perspective on one of the biggest and and fastest growing segments of book selling, which is yeah the audiobook. And I think this will be a great kind of education for all of us to to hear from the from the best in class. Well, I hope so. Thank and thank you. That's a lovely. Well, let's let's get right into the cocktail then because I I know you oh, had a late yeah. night uh, maybe as I'm making the cocktail, you can tell us about your late night last so, night. So, ladies and gentlemen, he is breaking out the big rock. He <laughs> is uh pulling out the ice cube. The Oh yeah, did you hear that sound? Yeah, one more time. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> This is um, a man who understands the value of audio. Yes, I do. Um, our night last night was uh, spent at the Audio Awards here in Los Angeles at the Chelsea Piers. Um, New York City. New York City. Did I say Los Angeles? It was a late night last night. <laughs> I live in Los Angeles. I'm really tired. I clearly had too many Audio Awards to drink last night. Um, yes, we are here in New York. And... Uh, uh, it was at the Chelsea Piers. Uh, we flew in from Los Angeles, and uh, my fiance and I, um, Suzanne Elise Freeman, we were nominated together for um, the best 
Science Fiction Audiobook of the Year, Intergalactic Exterminators Incorporated. Oh, God, just listen to the sound of that. This is, as you were saying before we started it's the mixing. The hair of the dog. This is hair of the dog. Oh, my gosh. By the way, I'm going with cherry for this, the Luxardo cherry instead of the orange rind. On your no, I don't, Which way do you normally have a... Uh, I, I'm usually... I'm a, I'm a cherry man. Okay, good. I really dig the... Uh, Luxardo, I assume. Oh, yeah. It's insane uh, that company's not paying me for all this. This think is about like the third plug for Luxardo. Yeah, think about it. Free advertising at the minimum. Send this man a jar of Luxardo <laughs> cherries. Uh, anyway, yes, we, we were at the Audi Awards last night, and we won uh, Best Audiobook of the Year, uh, Intergalactic Exterminators Incorporated. So... Congratulations! What what is an audio? What is the physical hardware you get for that? Look like you get uh, a uh, triangular piece of uh, marble. Essentially, I think is what is what the award itself. Oh, bless you, sir! Here we go. <laughs> Cheers! It's great to meet you. And to you, thank you. Oh, feeling better already. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, a a piece of black marble. Um, with a microphone symbol on it, and it lists uh, offset into the black marble is, you know, the uh, imprinting, you know, mm-hmm. the name of the book, the publisher. Um, uh, By the, the way, your voice is narrators. fantastic. It's making me feel like I need to get into a deeper register. I, I think uh, I, I'm going to sound different in this interview as I try to sort of go where you go. I have to tell you, my voice <laughs> is very different today than it was yesterday because of all the audio awards that we drank last night. Um, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty uh, uh, ragged. Oh, it's working it's, for you. It sounds oh, good. Bless you. All right, so you were born in Santa Barbara. I was Cottage you- Hospital. Okay, and yep. UCLA undergrad? UCLA? Uh, yeah, I didn't even get my undergrad degree, which is crazy because I teach there now, teaching their graduate students. And uh, they asked me to come back to my alma mater because of my success in audiobooks. Could you come back and teach our third year graduate student, uh, graduate theater students um, audiobook narration? And I said, mm-hmm. I never even got my degree. Isn't that going to be a problem? <laughs> and they said, well... Don't lead with that fact. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that. Uh, yes, indeed. I went from Santa Barbara to Central California, back to LA, um, to UCLA, and yeah. and I read that after graduation, you joined a traveling Shakespearean troupe. I did and toured as an actor. I did. I was uh, a traveling Shakespearean actor for 10, 12 years. I worked with a company called Will and Company. Will Shakespeare. Um, although we didn't only do Shakespeare, I I did an adaptation. I wrote an adaptation, and I played Scrooge in in uh, Christmas Carol. I uh, wrote an adaptation of The Three Musketeers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did I play? I think I played Athos. Mm-hmm. Um, I can totally hear your voice on the stage, carrying in a in a Shakespearean environment. <laughs> you've got the you've got the way to project. The- it's funny, you know. People ask me. You know, do I need to go do Shakespeare in order to do audiobooks? I said, no, you don't have to, but, but it, it would helps. help. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I believe it. I mean, when you're doing these audiobooks, you are, it, it is acting. I mean, you're, you're getting into character yeah. and sometimes multiple characters for books and it's acting. Yeah, we were um, um, right before COVID hit. We were interviewed by the great David Pogue of um, uh, on CBS Sunday morning. Um and he uh, uh, he asked me, he asked uh, um, 
a number of other people who were at the uh, uh, session that day, we were recording the Bible. And, you know, the question was, is this acting? And I'm like, well, if it isn't, I don't know what else you would call it. Um, it's just a different kind of acting. Mm-hmm. Um, most acting that we're familiar with is what we see on the stage, mm-hmm. on the big screen or the small screen. So much of that, 80% of it is body language. Mm. You have to learn to do it only with your voice. Yeah. Uh, the, the example I always uh, give is something that is that doesn't need translation. I've had, I've had students, because uh, I teach audiobook narration, and uh, I've had students who were from wildly different countries, backgrounds, you know, uh, uh, languages that they speak. Um, and I had a, a, a student from China one time who asked, you know, is this a waste of my time? And I said, well, why don't we focus on tone? You know, uh, tone is something that doesn't need to be translated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the reason they were asking the question, of course, was I don't speak very good English. And I said, well, you can say the word hi, right? Like you're answering a phone. Mm-hmm. Of course. I said, okay. If I was to answer the phone, hi, you know how I'm feeling. But if I was to answer the word, hi, right, it's totally different. Yeah. And uh, that's the kind of thing that we focus on in a very general, broad sense. Um, that's what you have, we Are try you ever to reading do. a, like an outside book for pleasure, not, not connected to sure. a, a job you're on and think, I have a vision for how I would do this one. I know exactly how to carry this across. I do it all the time. I wish I could turn it off. Yeah. Um, I, I think almost any actor uh, in no matter their medium, uh, storytelling medium, mm-hmm. maybe they're a stage actor, maybe they're a, a, a TV or film actor or an audiobook narrator. You watch somebody else's performance and you're like, yeah, I would do this differently. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost impossible to turn that off. Yeah. Every artist but has the has Of the course. Yeah, yeah, of course. But because I work in such an, a niche industry. I can't help thinking as I come across print, you know, as I come across narrative, yeah, I know exactly what I would do with this. And and uh, if I can do a, a shameless plug, I've had two books in my life that I thought, I know exactly what I would do if this ever went to audio and I was able to go out and help produce them. Mm-hmm. One of them was The Making of Casablanca, the audiobook. It was uh, uh, from the from the original book called "Round Up the Usual Suspects" by Algene Harmetz, mm-hmm. and the other one was uh, "Dreamer of Dune" by um, uh, Brian Herbert, the son of Frank Herbert, who wrote the Dune franchise. Mm-hmm. In both cases, I thought I know exactly what I would do uh, mm-hmm. with the making of Casablanca. We did it through Oasis Audio with uh, um. Dreamer of Dune, we did it through my uh, production company. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, I've got, so, I, I feel so strongly. I, I'm dedicated to these, to telling these stories. Yeah. I would tell stories about the making of Casablanca. The book was written 30 years ago. Well, I, I want to ask I, you about that. Have many, have all the classics that, you know, that we read in the 80s in high sure. school, have they been... You know, because these days when a big book comes out, audio comes out pretty much simultaneously with a hardcover publication. But have the classics all been made into audios now or are there still some to do? 
They've all been made, and yeah. there are multiple versions. I just did a version. Actually, we haven't um, published it yet. It's going to be coming out from Blackstone Audio, but I just did a version of The Great Gatsby, and mm-hmm. you know that's now in the public domain. So there's a lot of versions out there that you can find, and and the classics because they're more than you know what is whatever it is seventy five hundred years old. Um, you know they're all in the public domain. But I can tell you, having been at the Audio Awards festivities last night, one of the books that was consistently up for some of the uh, largest awards of the year was uh, um, uh, War and Peace. Interesting. So uh, the classics are there for a reason. I mean, can it, I, I, I would have to sort of sample two versions of War and Peace or The Great Gatsby. I wonder how big a difference in the flavor of the book you can come away with with two different readings. I imagine it's like watching two different Broadway versions of a show or something like that. I mean, it can be a well, big I think, difference. I think it depends on the choices that the narrator makes. Um, one of the first jobs that I do, one of the first tasks that I have as a narrator is to decide how close to the action do I want to get. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me define my terms. Um, you've either got first person or third person. Uh, uh, first person, it's obvious, you know, I... I did this. This happened to me. I said to her, I said to him, he said to me. But then there's third person, and that becomes the quandary. How close do you get to the action? Because the mm-hmm. author's third person narrator isn't a character in the book. Mm-hmm. But sometimes narrators, the uh, 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 the oral narrator, not the author's third person narrator, they play around with how close to the action they can get. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if it's a thriller, you know, the line could be she knew that the door at the end of the hallway hit a killer, but she knew that she had to go through it in order to survive. OK. Or you could go really close to the actions, say she knew that the door at the end of the hallway hid a killer, mm-hmm. but she knew she had to go through it. Like getting her emotion a little bit right. more into it. You yeah. add the emotion, the emotional flavor to mm-hmm third person narration even though that third person narrator isn't a character in the story but they're mirroring the yeah, character in yeah. the story and and i think that's why the classics read or sound differently yeah depending on the choices that the narrator has made I wanna, before i get more into your artistic process i wanted to ask you a bit about the business process of how it all works so do you end up getting a call from a publisher at sns or penguin random and saying hey scott we've got this new book and we'd like you to do the audio or how do you, how do, how does business sort of come your way? I can tell you this. Uh, I, what I tell my students, because I were, I, uh, consult with, um, I do a lot of coaching for new narrators and, uh, a lot of really experienced narrators will come to me for business consults as well. And I always tell them the same thing. When you go to a conference, Don't worry about booking a job. I've never once, I've worked in the comic book industry. I've worked in, in journalism, uh, worked in publishing. Never once in my life have I ever booked a job on a convention floor. I book a job in the bar afterward. (laughs) And last night after the Audi Awards, uh, we were all, you know, enjoying a cocktail to celebrate everybody's success or to drown their sorrows, uh, whatever the case might be. And, um, 
And I was approached by a publisher, Blackstone Audio, who said, you've done a lot of Michael Crichton books. And uh, he wrote a number of books under a pseudonym, which I had no idea. And I thought my days of doing Michael Crichton were long gone. Because What's the, I love Michael Crichton. What's the pseudonym he wrote under? I honestly don't know. They told me he wrote <laughs> under a pseudonym, but they didn't tell me what it was. Oh, this is yeah. like top secret. And I think this is before the Andromeda strain. Oh, early Crichton. Wow. I, I, okay. Please don't quote me. I honestly don't know. Mm -hmm. But I was approached and, and said, okay, well, you did Jurassic Park. You did um, The Lost World. You did Sphere. Uh, his lost novel, which was discovered by Sherry, who's a lovely woman. She invited me to the um, book launch party at her house. It was so, so nice. Um, when they found... Uh, Dragon Bones, mm -hmm. I believe was the title of it. Um, you know, these are four Crichton books. And, and, and again, Crichton's been gone 10, 12, 15 years. And suddenly I'm at a bar and they said, well, you're kind of the Michael Crichton guy. We'd like you. There's 10 of these books. We'd like you to do at least one of them. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how the industry works. It's, um, you know, uh, I do a lot of, I do all of the Clive Cussler books, which are mm -hmm. kind of James Bond on the open yeah, sea. Yeah, the, the Dirk Pitt Yeah, character. the Dirk yeah. Pitt series, exactly. Yeah. And people will come up to me and they will say, hey, I'm writing a naval series. You know, it's one of the reasons why I got hired to do Hunt for Red October, because I've done so many books that, yeah. that are set. So it's on, word, word of mouth, ocean. largely, and people come. Yeah, it's, I always say it's incestuous in a good way. Right, right. If you're if you're good, yeah. If you right. So, do you then negotiate a rate? Is there a standard rate, or to someone of your experience and stature, you I would imagine command a higher rate per book than someone new to the business, or and maybe it goes by page, or how do you figure out how you how much you get paid? Um. Well, you know, and 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 for those of you who couldn't see what I just did there, I acted like I was you know, smoking a cigarette and blowing it away. Um. Uh. I, SAG-AFTRA, who is our union, and God bless them, I'm really active within the union on the uh, uh, steering committee for uh, audiobook uh, narration. Um, they have minimum rates established. But as I always tell my students, the people who I'm uh, uh, hired by, the key word is minimum. Mm -hmm. These are the minimums that you get, you know, that you get paid. Uh, and, and, and the minimums are available online. People can look them up on, you know, just look up SAG-AFTRA, audiobook rates, you know. They'll, they'll do a little, you know, research and you'll be able to find them. Um, I don't work for the minimums unless it's a project I, you know, deeply believe in. I've worked mm -hmm. for the minimum many, many times mm -hmm. because, you know, uh, we did a... A, uh, a project, The Tragedy of Macbeth, with uh, um, some of the best best names, best voices in the industry. And, you know, there's no budget, but who mm -hmm. cares? Yeah, that's a, I got to a play passion Macbeth. project. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. That came out last year, and that was marvelous. So, uh, but for the most part, yes, I, I have my production manager who handles all of that for me and uh and it's yeah. working out for you so let's go they into, take your, care of me. into yes. your into your artistic process so you sign a deal and they send you the book and i'm wondering how do you 
prep for that? I, do you read the book a few times first so that you get to the point where you can sort of anticipate the changes in drama and the, you know, yeah. that kind of thing? And so how, how do you how do you get started then? Uh, well, the first thing I do is I I focus on the story and I let somebody else focus on I outsource focusing on the pronunciations. Uh, a word that uh, uh, <laughs> I always laugh about is, you know, the word frequent. You go to a place frequently, but if you go to a, a place frequently, you don't frequent it. You frequent it. It's it's is a different pronunciation. That's the proper, I didn't realize that. That is the, you know, air quotes, proper pronunciation. <laughs> but let's be honest. Uh, if you're a professor, you frequent a place. But if you're a New Yorker, a dock worker who wants to go to Molly Wee's pub in Midtown, you frequent it. I yeah. mean, let's be honest. You know, you always have to bow That's to like the context. That's like the, uh, instead of he graduated from, it's he was graduated from is the yes. proper thing. But nobody says that. You sound nobody absurd when you say that. it the right way. And, and technically, look, if you're an expatriate, they call you an expat, right? Look it up in the mm -hmm. dictionary. You're an expat. No, but nobody says I've expat. I've never heard that. Yeah. Why would you? It sounds <laughs> awful. Even if you get it right, they're going to assume that you got it wrong. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I send all of that stuff off to uh, George Weisberg, who is my researcher. Um, mm -hmm. He's brilliant. Um, what I focus on is, okay, um, Let's say this is fiction, and uh, it's a story. Uh, oh, first thing I have to do is uh, identify who the protagonist is. Mm -hmm. Most people think the protagonist is the main character. That's not the case. The protagonist is the character who changes. So, Star Trek. You would think the protagonist is James T. Kirk, because William Shatner was the number one name in the titles. Jim Kirk is not the protagonist of Star Trek. It is Spock. Spock. Spock is the character who changes. And the same thing on Big Bang Theory, uh, the, the, the show that loved Star Trek so much. Um, uh, Johnny Galecki was the number one character, uh, the number one actor listed in the credits. He played Leonard, uh, but Leonard was not the protagonist of the show. It was mm -hmm. Sheldon who was the protagonist i have to identify who the protagonist is where the change occurs and why and let's say let's say the change is okay this character is introduced at the beginning i look at a movie like giant uh, going back to you know rock hudson and and james dean and um you had a guy who was essentially you know racially intolerant right uh takes place in the south um and by the end of the movie, that same character played by Rock Hudson was in a fight and got the crap beat out of him as he stood up defending a black family's right to eat in this restaurant. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a change. That mm -hmm. is a protagonist. Mm -hmm. uh, even so though you, he, you identify that first so that you can capture I, that change. Exactly. In, in the voice. That is the most important thing in a book. What is the change? Mm -hmm. And sometimes there isn't one. I mean, you know, um, uh, you know, some long term 
characters that you know you 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 tune into you know every time there's a new volume of you know uh, of of a new title in the series come out there may not be a whole lot of change there but like reacher you've done you've done lee child sure yeah reacher or or you know or jack ryan or or Mm -hmm. dark pit you know these are these are these characters may not change because you know they're they're written in stone and yet there's a little bit of change like in the Reacher series, for instance. Um, he's a wanderer, but every now and again, every now and again, he asks a woman that he, you know, maybe he, he uh, uh, has a yeah. fling with during the adventure that, you know, uh, uh, in the book. Every now and again, he'll say, you could come with me. Mm-hmm. That's a change. Mm-hmm. So what I have to do is I have to identify what the change is, why it happens. And it's a bell curve. Right. It's, you know, from the stakes go from one to ten. And my job is to say, okay, if this is the change, then every time this issue comes up, I have to keep raising the stakes so that when we get to ten, it's not Mm -hmm. a surprise. When you take on on a new book, new characters, are you trying out voices in the way I imagine actors are, you know, getting method and trying to figure out how to sort of get into character? Do you spend some time in advance sort of figuring out what that character is and figuring out the voice is going to sound like and just trying different things out for a while? I do. But uh, what I (laughs) that's such a great question. Um, I do. I think about it and I plan on it. And then I get to the booth and quite often things change. Uh Uh, I did a job recently. I did a reading just a handful of days ago um, uh, by a guy who's uh, it's all told first person. And the guy, guy, it's it's comedic. It's it's warfare, but it's comedic. And this guy is like, okay, we have these sheep that are going out there and they're they're walking through a minefield. And um, and I had this whole idea kind of mapped out in my brain how this guy should sound as he's briefing his troops, like, you know, like this sub lieutenant who's trying to impress his captain. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, so these. War sheep they're you know, he's just, you know, they they might ultimately evolve. They might ultimately learn how to know, you know, how to understand you know, where the. Uh, where the landmines are. And I, um, I had this character in my head for a couple of days. And then I thought, Oh wait, hang on. Um, uh, the show Ted Lasso, there's the character, Leslie Higgins, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and he's just so officious. And he's the guy who, when told, yeah, I'll send him a gif. Yes. Right. But, some people pronounce it Jif, you know, and I thought maybe this officious lieutenant that could work with this really officious mm-hmm. lieutenant working to, you know, mm-hmm. impress his captain. So at the last minute, I changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you look for what works. I, I picture you in front of Suzanne, like, how does this one sound? And, you know, doing that, and getting <laughs> a few, you know, how writers will sort of have a trusted three or four people. They'll send their first draft of a novel to you can. You can try things out on a couple people you trust. I tell you what, Suzanne and I, uh, the the book that we won for last night, um, uh, shameless plug, forgive me, uh, Intergalactic Exterminators Incorporated. And um, we talked about that for mm-hmm. days because I had to go in and do, uh, uh, she went in, did her part first. Yeah. Um, 
By the way, how often, sorry to interject, but how often are you just reading all characters in a book versus there are multiple narrators, each taking, you know, a female character and a male character, et cetera? My career, but it's not, that's not indicative of the entire audiobook industry. My career, 90% of the time I'm doing all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but more and more, it's becoming, you know, more frequent that people share points of view. Uh, if it's an, a romance and there's a he mm-hmm. and a her or two he's or two hers um, or any of those permutations, uh, y- you will hire different narrators for those points of view. Yeah. Um, in this case, Suzanne and I had worked out uh, there was this character who is uh, starts out as a robot, but ultimately becomes sentient. And uh, we came up with this voice together that we would because we were both going to be telling you know the story uh from a point of view where you know this robot appears this sentient robot and um she recorded her part first and i went into the booth uh, a couple of days later and i realized oh no that voice is all wrong i need to do it this way and i warned the publisher i'm like we have to redo all of these lines and um i did it the way it just seemed Right. And I went home and I told Suzanne, I'm like, I'm really sorry. And she goes, no, <laughs> it's the right choice to make. Mm-hmm. We both went back into the studio and redid it. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, OK, how would that sound? And I would I read it aloud and then she, you know, impersonated me. It was. Uh, well, yeah. that's a good lead into the next set of questions I want to ask you, which is more of the practical stuff. Like, How many. How long do you do a session? How many mm-hmm. sessions does it take to do? Say the average the average novel is maybe eighty thousand words, three hundred pages. How long sure. does that take, and how's that all play out? I'm going to uh, upgrade that to a hundred thousand words, just because the math will be easier. Um, the average narrator speaks at and and please narrators don't at me on Twitter or anything, but the average <laughs> the average human being speaks uh, nine thousand five hundred words per minute. 9,500 words. Wow. Uh, I beg per hour. Oh, per, good okay. God. The look on your face made me realize, boy, <laughs> like, did wow, I get I'm that speaking wrong. way too slowly. Yeah. 9,500 <laughs> words per hour is, is the rate at which most narrators, yeah. most people speak. Uh, one of the publishers, one of the big five publishers did research on me and found out that I speak at 9,000 words per hour. I'm a little slower. And I asked them, oh. Jeez, that seems do, like a good do, thing to me. It's well, you know. well, but, but I couldn't help it. I was like, do, do I need to, you know, do I need to hurry up? And they said, no, it works for you. Mm-hmm. Whatever works for you works for us. Well, plus there's that thing on everybody's phone where you can like accelerate the speed you're listening to it anyway. Right. So if you- <laughs> which <laughs> speaking on behalf of narrators, I don't care. But most narrators look at that as a huge insult. Right, that's an artistic oh, know, breach. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Oh no, it's like you know, it's like farting in church. Um, <laughs> But, uh, uh, yeah, so if you're, I speak at 9,000 words per minute. So I know if somebody comes to me and they say, I have a manuscript that's, they'll say, you know, it's 300 pages long. I'm like, dude. Right. If it's all dialogue, that's if, a very if, different. If your font yeah. size is yeah. 44, you know, mm-hmm. that could be a four hour book. If your font size is 11. Uh, you know, maybe that's an 11 hour book. So I always, I, I'm like, I don't care. It, right. uh, authors out there listening, please 
don't tell them your page count. Tell yeah, them your the word, word count. It's the, the yeah. metric. Yeah. Uh, so I I get a, an email and says I have a manuscript that's a hundred thousand words long. Well, I speak at nine thousand. Therefore, I know that a hundred thousand word manuscript is going to take me. A, it's going to be eleven hours finished. Right. Eleven finished hours. Um, it typically takes two studio hours to create one finished hour. Mm -hmm. So, okay, great. How often, so I don't know how long I could do it, but will you sit, what's the max you would sit in one session? You won't go 11 hours straight. You'll just do oh God. three at a time oh. or two, one at a time. Well, I look every, uh, I, I've kind of just got it ingrained into my personality. I never go more than five minutes of straight narration yeah. even if i've never if, even if i haven't made a mistake and you know narrators are deathly afraid of you know uh it's like oh god breaking the curse or something it's like i you know i'm on a roll i, I want to keep going until i make a mistake i say no stop stop mm -hmm. whether you've made a mistake or not stop hydrate drink some water that's because I, I was going to ask you if you ever can just do it in a clean take, you know, for 20 minutes. But so you do five minutes or so. If you make a mistake, you just stop. And then whether I up. make a mistake or not, I stop mm -hmm. because your vocal cords are a muscle. And as any good chiropractor will tell you, muscles fail without water, mm. without hydration um, or old fashions, you know, whatever or old fashions. And let's cheers. Go. There we go. <laughs> um it's uh look it you know it's a it's a thing um i have had muscle failure at various times in my life whether it was in a, a physical workout or a vocal workout mm -hmm. and people come to me all the time and and it'd be you know 4 p.m and we're at penguin random house in los angeles and they'll say oh god you know i'm on my way out the door it's 4 p.m i'm mm -hmm. i'm gone and I say, you know, are you leaving too? And they'll say, no, I've got two more hours to go, but I'm so ragged. What do I do? What do I do? You know, my voice is just so ragged. How can I, how can I help it? And I said, mm -hmm. the way you can help it is wake up two hours earlier this morning and drink two extra liters of water. You know, mm -hmm. there's only so much you can do when you're dehydrated. It takes four hours to get yeah. rehydrated. Yeah. And if you're trying to push through. I heard so this just know. for some reason, I just thought of this crazy story. I can't remember if it was Rock Hudson. who You mentioned earlier or somebody like that. Um, it might have been the guy from like the uh, the Ten Commandments movie. That was um, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston was, yeah. was one of those two guys. And in the old days, that person got a cold, I think deliberately like wanted to get a cold and then went up into the hills and just screamed at the top of his sure. lungs for hours just to tear up the vocal cords yeah. to make the voice deeper and rougher and sounds yeah. you know on a permanent basis like really shredded the vocal cords doing that you ever heard that story i've heard of a number of people doing that mm -hmm. uh the one that comes to mind is i read uh, barry manilow's uh biography years ago and yes I am a fanalo. Um, <laughs> I've he, never heard that a fanalo. <laughs> oh, really? oh yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I've been a Barry Manilow fan since uh, you know I think the first forty-five I ever got was Mandy uh, back in the seventies, mumble mumble years ago. Um, but he at one point wanted his voice to sound 
ragged, mm -hmm. like Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of went up into the hills and he just screamed and screamed and screamed. And he went into the studio to record and he couldn't get a damn thing done because he had <laughs> shredded his I was going to say, does this cords. work? Do you get scar tissue there and you can actually Look, uh, you make know, a difference? Um, Hugh Jackman, uh, uh, our beloved Wolverine, um, he has talked about how his voice sounds different. He can hear it, mm -hmm. let alone that the, the fans and the producers can hear it because of all the growling he had to do playing the character of Wolverine. And, you know, if I'm if I am recording a book and, you know, I yeah, I do the Lee Child and Andrew Child books that are, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm playing Reacher and, you know. Do I look like I'm afraid to you? <laughs> you know, you get into the whole vocal yeah. fry yeah. kind of thing. And I do the same thing on the, the Orphan X series by Greg Hurwitz. That is quite literally a, a phrase. Do I look like I fear you? Do I look like I'm afraid? You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the deeper you go into your register, yeah. the more often you go there, it changes the sound of your voice. I don't sound the same way I did in the year 2000. Or in 1999 when I debuted. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I may go try this Screaming in the Hills thing because all I can think about during this interview is how pathetic my voice is next year. I've, I've got to <laughs> I've got to shred my vocal cords somehow to to do this. I mean, I, I hope the listeners are enjoying the audio experience of this of the Golden Voice. Listeners, his voice sounds amazing. <laughs> so, a couple more practical questions or process questions on like like sort of rubber hits the road, but. Do you ever take input from editors or writers themselves? I, do they sort of hear it and say, hey, you know, Scott, I wish you'd do it a little bit more this way or that way. Absolutely. Or you basically get the job and then off it goes. No, absolutely. I, I think the uh, input from authors, uh, uh, well, you also mentioned producers, directors. Um, audiobooks are best when they're collaborative. Mm -hmm. And when I get input from uh, from somebody who is directing me or from the author who wrote the source material, oh, my God, that's that's the coin of the realm. Wait, so you you have a director as you're reading these? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. Who Who is the director? Is that someone from the publishing house? Or? Yeah, okay. usually it's the publisher okay. who assigns that person to you. Um what is the direction? Are they saying this is sort of the vision of the book or we view this character this way or what, how are they giving you, I don't know, I, I've got I've got two examples that I like to give, but they're long stories and, I, and, I, and I, feel free to cut me off. Um, years ago, working on a series by uh, Justin Cronin, uh, wrote a series called The Passage, a trilogy. And um, uh, Christina Rooney was our director and she and I, had a lot of conversations about how one particular character should sound. They were introduced in book one, but we didn't find out who they were until book three, which was seven years later. You know, uh, mm -hmm. Justin Cronin, God knows I love you, but you know, it took a long time for him <laughs> to come, you know, to get, to get through this trilogy. And it was like, well, when the first, when that character was, he did he know all out. along, or even he didn't know until seven late, years later. No, he you know he knew all along so who this character was going to, to be. As, yeah. But I wasn't aware. I okay. never called him and said, you know, hey, this character called Zero, you know, how should he sound? I just came up with something in the booth. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, then we come to the third volume in the trilogy, and uh, the question became, well, uh, what I did was completely, you know, opposite of what I would have done w- had I known about his socioeconomic background and, mm-hmm. you know, his accent, uh, the uh, country, uh, city of origin, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and so the conversation was between you know me and Christina, the woman who directed the series, was, do I stay with what I did originally or do I change it? And ultimately, it was like, stay with what you did. Let's mm-hmm. keep it consistent. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, otherwise, it's um, you know, if you're if you're working alone, um, you know, the decision making process is, you know completely different but essentially it's along those same lines you know last question on process do you are you comfortable and and how and if so how do you do uh, voices of women or children or ethnic accents i mean it's easy to offend people these days so i mean would you do an accent yeah absolutely um are we allowed to cuss on the sure, show? Sure, go for it. Are, are you sure? I mean, you know, not gratuitously, but if it okay. like drives the All point, right. let's go. All right. Um, okay. How do you do uh, accents of, uh, how do you sound like people who are not like you? Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, appropriation, of course, is a huge topic in books I, and literature I, I totally and things like that. So, yeah. I have a dear friend of mine. He's uh, a legendary voiceover artist. His name is Pat Fraley. And he and I have been teaching audiobook courses together for 10, 12 years. And he started out uh, in the early days of, you know, Hanna-Barbera, mm. you know, in the 1970s. So, okay, you had the Flintstones coming out in the 60s. In the 70s, you know, they're doing like reunion, you know, uh, Flintstones reunions, Jetsons reunions. Um Pat came in during that era and people were always asking him, Hey, you know, do this character. Like it's this, do a character. Mm-hmm. But what I, I've always respected about Pat was that he knew that attitudes and intentions matter. Mm-hmm. And when I have to play a character who is, who is black, who is Asian, uh, who is Russian, who is, you know, anything that is not me, who is, who is, you know, flamboyantly homosexual, you know, we have to play all of the, all of the roles mm-hmm. in an audiobook. And whenever I come to, a, a character who is not me, I remember the advice given by, an which author. by the way is every character and every single like, character you know, <laughs> yes yeah. every single character yeah. is not you yeah. in a book yeah a same same issue confronted by every author of course absolutely a, you know. well uh i remember that uh, i'm a big fan of authors giving other authors advice on how to be better authors mm-hmm. and um you know write the book that you want to read uh i think you could translate that into narrator speak which is narrate the book the way you would want to listen to it mm-hmm. you know if you want to be a better author read voraciously well if you want to be a better narrator read voraciously i think there's a one-on-one relationship yeah. between advice for authors and advice for narrators and um when it comes to playing other characters all i can think about is uh richard matheson my favorite author he wrote 
God. <laughs> he wrote, uh, uh, I am legend. He wrote, um, uh, somewhere in time. He wrote, uh, episodes of the original Star Trek. He wrote 20, at least episodes of the Twilight Zone, including the William Shatner episode, you know, the, the creature on the wing nightmare at 20,000 feet. And I got to do the audiobook version of that, which was freaking awesome. Um, his advice as an author to another author is his number one rule is don't be an asshole. <laughs> Hard and, words to live by. Right. <laughs> Rules two through five yeah. were don't be an asshole. That's how important that is. Yeah. And when I have to play a character like I, I did, there was a series and I, I won't mention the author because I don't. Uh, he's passed and and. um and I don't think he understood that he was doing this. I think we we understand it now. But at the time, before he passed away, I did about five books of his. And there was this character who um, uh, he would go visit his girlfriend. And his girlfriend uh, in her office, she was a public worker. She, uh, um, 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 uh, she was an advocate for people who were dealing with, you know, hard times and, and her assistant was a flamboyant homosexual. The author kept saying, you know, Michael said this, Michael said that in his flamboyantly gay accent where he lisped all the time. And I thought, well, here's the thing. Some of my dearest friends in the world are gay and they do not lisp they just don't lisping is a is a very it's an identifiable thing if you were in you know barcelona you would be doing the theta right it, it, rather than the right. c it was the castilian accent or the castilian yeah. right exactly it's technically you know from what people uh, uh, think is that it's because the king at the time had a lisp that he couldn't get past and so everybody did it to is that right him. is that why it's in the that's Spanish language? one of the reasons that, I didn't uh, know that. Uh, it's like you know who named the academy award the oscar there's a number of different reasons mm -hmm. and you know it's it's lore at this okay. point rather than you know knowledge um but it's called the theta theta Mm -hmm. A lisp is, I am lisping. Gay people don't do that. Mm -hmm. They just don't. And yet the author had said, you know, he lisped rather than saying he said, you know, uh, I just love you. You know, uh, you're so special. If I lisped it, I just love you. You're so special. Come on. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm going to sound like an asshole. Mm -hmm. And Richard Matheson told me not to be one. Right. <laughs> those, are, those are words to live by. I mean, I, not everyone, unfortunately, can live by them, but that's good, good advice. So we talked about authenticity in, in the audiobook world, but I wanted to bring that into the real world for a moment. And mm -hmm. you may be aware of the Elizabeth Holmes trial, this phony <laughs> pharmaceutical executive. <laughs> and I've watched video of her and she is clearly throwing her voice. She wants to have that deeper register. So that she gets taken seriously by investors and partners. Sorry, I don't and mean she's to laugh. like, forgive me, I'm laughing. I, I can't help it. Yeah. She, she sounds ridiculous. And her high school friends are saying, that's not what she sounds like. She's deliberately talking like this in her corporate board meetings. And, yeah. But it, I mean, again, to your point, voice matters so much, but sometimes it comes across as an utter fraud. 
It's really interesting that you ask me this question because right now, where we are in the audiobook industry, and I and I come at this uh, just to plant myself uh, in context. I was hired to do all of the audiobook content at the a voiceover conference VO Atlanta. And then I came to New York to take part in the Audio Publishers Association. And one of the topics that narrators have been talking about is artificial intelligence, where you try to sound real, even though you're not. Mm-hmm. And it just I, I, forgive me if I'm if I'm getting this wrong, but it seems to me I see a clear link between what she did and what a lot of narrators try to do, or frankly, a lot of publishers who don't want to hire human voices uh, mm-hmm. to do, which is essentially fake authenticity. But does that ever, is anyone fooled by that? Because I, I didn't go to high school with Elizabeth Holmes, but I didn't need to. I can look at a video of her now and I can well, tell she's faking her voice. Totally. Look, if I could fake authenticity, I would have it made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it doesn't fool anybody because, uh, again, I, I hope that we don't have a, um, um, too much of a censor here. But everybody talks about their own, you know, their bullshit detector. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I call BS on that. Um, I think the human ear can hear inauthenticity a mile away. Uh, uh, I mean, good God. Uh, there's something uh, in the realm of artificial intelligence. It's called the uncanny valley. And it's the, the gap between a computer's way to reach you sounding like a human being or looking like a human being versus your ability to accept a computer sounding or looking like a human being. Mm-hmm. And it's the gap. And, you know, never the twain shall meet. And I think of her trying to sound so different, trying to sound authoritative. Um, authenticity, from an audiobook narrator's perspective, that is the coin of the realm. Mm-hmm. You are who you are. You know, again, it's like you, if you have an accent, lean into it. Mm-hmm. That is who you are. But, you know, uh, somebody like her, artificial intelligence, uh, they will never be able to fake authenticity. It's, um, frankly, I, I find it sad. And from all of the research that I've done online, I, you know, I routinely go and I look up, you know, studies done uh, for audiobook listeners. Um, you know, what if a book was labeled as being done uh, uh, by AI and, you know, 5% says, yeah, I don't care. Uh, 5% says, I'd give it a try. 5% says, I don't listen to audiobooks. The number that keeps coming up to me is 76% of people, and this is mm-hmm. anecdotal evidence, 76% of people say, I have no interest Will in the law be anybody. that you have to label it as AI, or will they come up with some pseudonym of some fictional audiobook well, reader and say, this person did it? Um, that's being written. Mm-hmm. You know, I had my voice stolen two weeks ago. How so? Um, I was approached two years ago by uh, a large corporation asking me if I would license them my voice 
And I thought, <laughs> all right, make me an offer. Because I'm always, I, I can't help it. I'm, I, sometimes I say I'm, I'm playing the long game. <laughs> more often than not, I'm more cynical. I say, I'm playing the long con. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, make me an offer. Tell me. And uh, what they offered me uh, seven figures. And I thought, well, how long would it take me to make seven figures? That would be the length of my career after I took that gig. So I have no interest in taking that gig. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, some uh, I have colleagues and friends of mine who have, who've sold their voices. And I do my best not to judge. Uh, but ultimately, it's like, you know, how much are people really going to be able to get from that? Mm -hmm. You know, I started recording audiobooks on June 10th, 1999. And I know that because I wrote it down for tax purposes and it's stuck in my brain. I always say I have a brain like a steel sieve. Uh, the important stuff just flows right out, but the trivia stays uh, right where it's <laughs> supposed to be. At June 10th, 1999. Since then, I have done... Over a thousand audiobooks, maybe around eleven hundred audiobooks. Oh, my numbers were out of date. I said nine hundred. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, you're over a oh, thousand. Yeah, okay. you did. And I've been I that number. From I've been silently my... judging you ever since. <laughs> um, but no, look. It, it, uh, fact of the matter is, uh, in all of that time, I have been allowed to curate my career. I mm -hmm. say yes to the books I want to say yes to. I yeah. say no to the books that really bother me. I don't want to do books about child abuse. It mm -hmm. hurts me. I don't want to live with that for a week. Mm -hmm. So, and it, and it brings me back to this topic. It's like you're trying to be somebody that you're not. Mm -hmm. I think that we as listeners, we as consumers, have we have a bullshit detector. We have an authenticity detector. In the same way that, I mean, come on, as great as it was, every Avatar film of, of the two that we've ever seen, did you ever once think that the blue guy was real? No. 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 I mean, for all the technology and all the hoopla, and, and I, I enjoyed the films, but I agree. Of course. No, no, I love them. I was never... Suzanne's favorite no. film, my fiance's favorite film and yet in the same thing with this woman it's like you hear her dropping her register to sound just oh mm. so much more important mm -hmm. bullshit 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 every employee at that company theranos must have been snickering behind her back yeah. like we all know this is nonsense the uh look go back to the malcolm gladwell book uh blink you know your initial you glance at yeah. it your initial impression is correct yeah this just ain't right yeah. It just ain't right. So uh, you mentioned some of the the help that you have offered to others and others have offered to you. And that is, th these are words you live by. So you are sort of reaching back to helping other yeah. narrators and you offer workshops, you've written books and sort of instruction manuscript. I know your workshops are, are pretty, uh, there's, there's been a lot of buzz around those. And so what, what do people... What can they expect to learn in a workshop from you about how to, I don't know how many listeners might be uh, interested in getting into narrating audiobooks, but probably some. And what, what can they expect to learn in a workshop with you? Um, gosh, I so appreciate that question. Um, I think the most important thing is that the best part about being a narrator is sounding like you. It's sounding like who you are rather than trying to hide who you are. 
I had a, 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 a woman who studied with me at uh, UCLA years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And she was from South America. And, and she said in you know, a very thick South American accent, you know, Latina accent. She's like, I know I need to. I knew I know I need to get rid of my accent, and everybody keeps telling me I need to do this, you know. I, I, but we were about to do our final, you know, audiobook narration final, and she's like, you know, is this a waste of time? Mm-hmm. And instead of answering her question, I said, "Who told you you need to get rid of your accent?" She's like, "Oh, my other professors at UCLA," and I'm like, "Look, I'm not here to." I'm not here to stir up trouble, but anybody who tells you that you need to get rid of your accent <laughs> certainly isn't thinking about audiobook work. Who you are is the best thing you have. Mm-hmm. I had a pastor of mine tell me years ago because of you know issues, whatever you've gone through. It could be you know tragedy. It could be exaltation it could be you know success whatever it is whatever makes you you is the most valuable tool that you have and uh rather than think of it as a weakness Mm -hmm. i always say lean into it yeah so for listeners who may be interested in learning from you sure um I mean, these days, so many of these kinds of courses can happen over Zoom or remotely. How can they find your course or should they buy your book? Or what, what's the best way to sort of learn from you for people who might be interested in Bless getting you. your I, workshop? I appreciate that. Uh, um, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, Scoprec.com, you can go. And in the upper left-hand corner, of course, as always, you see this little uh, square that you can click on. And uh, under my resources page, when you click on that, um, uh, there's coaching that I do. I coach almost probably five days a week. Um, From, like over Zoom or? Over how, Zoom. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll coach typically from about 10 a.m. until 11 a.m. because, okay, typically I'm supposed to start my session at 10 a.m. But This is I, West Coast time you're talking. West Coast yeah. time. <laughs> don't, Los Angeles not too early. time. Not, not, don't do this on East Coast time. Darlings. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, if they can fit that oh, wherever they live in the world. I yeah. worked with somebody from Brazil the other day. That was a mm-hmm. that was a, a difficult session to set up, um, but uh, you know I can do that for an hour and then still go in and get. A full so this day is a one on one Zoom session with Scott Brick on how to do it. Sure, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. great. Absolutely. I uh, look, you know, you know, given what you do, uh, given this show, knowledge not shared is knowledge wasted mm-hmm. and i don't want to waste anything life is precious yeah. so let's speaking of which there's, there's a little old-fashioned left in that glass we can't oh, waste good that. god <laughs> right, i'm gonna i'm gonna cheers you again there we go nice so on to the lightning round then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. favorite book as a kid Ooh, favorite book as a kid well, I'm a big comic book fan, but I have to say that the the thing that I kept returning to over and over was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh my gosh. That's my wife's favorite movie by I yeah. mean, every every child in my family can recite passages at length of that movie. Totally. I did a book by Gene Wilder 
<laughs> which is uh, what a great guy oh absolutely Wait, he passed away a couple of years ago maybe yeah two, three years yeah ago. um but it's crazy he he was you know willy wonka and charlie in the chocolate factory but he wrote a book called my french whore <laughs> which i narrated and uh he found out about it that they hired somebody other than him to do it he was not happy oh in my from my point of view i'm like oh my god this makes me so happy i did a book by gene wilder oh Right. Yeah. Now he hates the fact that I did it. That was oh, kind of no. kind of heartbreaking. But um, he's lovely. And frankly, that's the book that got me turned on to uh, oral storytelling, mm-hmm. even more so than like telling uh, ghost what, what stories was around that, a campfire. That, that happened because your career started around 99 or so. My career started in 1999, but my mother read me Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in 1973. Wow. Wow. And um, that was, and I love you, mom. You mean the world to me. Uh, she, um, yeah, she read, she read me Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator, and then uh, um, the uh, James and the Giant Peach. Mm. We were on a roll doll. Yeah, and, oh, he's, uh, yeah. That's a um, uh, legend. That's yeah, amazing. absolutely. Uh, and that's actually, I think, where, my life changed. I didn't realize it at the mm-hmm. time. When I grow up, I'm going to read people's stories for a living. But I think that the reason that uh, we love audiobooks so much nowadays, and there's been this great proliferation uh, in you know the popularity of audiobooks, mm-hmm. is because we were read to as children, and we miss it. Yeah, it's a huge... I mean, Audible is coming back in general like podcasts and, totally. and audiobooks is, is the by far the fastest you know as we mentioned earlier fastest growing segment it's funny you mentioned that gene wilder story because i've had friends tell me like you should read your audiobook and i'm thinking i don't know how to do that i don't think it'll go very well and i definitely don't want to screw it up like i, I think this should be left Dude, in the I'll hands be, of I'll, someone who I knows will, how to I do it i will be your technical advisor <laughs> if you want to hire if they want to hire me to do it Happy to do it. Oh my but god! If you want to do it, I will be your technical hey, advisor. Hey, if we can afford I you, I'm you. in. I, I, I mean, I'll talk to the. Well, I would love to have you do it. That would be amazing. Um, next question: Book or books you're reading or listening to now? Oh, okay. Well, um, I have two books that I keep returning to over and over. Uh, there's a there's a series that I listen to over and over, which is uh, the the Cormoran Strike novels by uh, J.K. Rowling, who that she did under the name uh, the pseudonym uh, Robert Galbraith. Galbraith, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, I listen to those, mm-hmm. yeah, constantly. Um, and uh, Suzanne and I watched the uh, uh, the series online, which was wonderful, but. I got to be honest, there are books that just make me happy. And fortunately, I was able to produce them on audio. And that's the, uh, I, I, I read, you know, The Making of Casablanca. I read uh, by Algene Harmitz. I read uh, Dreamer of Dune by, uh, mm-hmm. by Brian Herbert. I, uh, you know, so much of my life is kind of, you know, part and parcel with those stories. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, we went and saw, I think it was the 80th anniversary of Casablanca. And we went with Suzanne and uh, Suzanne and I went with her mother, Gretchen. And, um, you know, we came to this scene where, uh, you know, where they sing, you know, the Marseillaise. Uh, they out sing uh, the Germans singing, you know, uh, 
um, you know, the Uber Alice. Um, and I told her this story that came from the making of Casablanca. And she was like, oh, my God, I never knew that. And she's been watching this movie for 60 years. So uh, something about that just makes me happy. And so I keep returning mm. to it. And I, it doesn't matter that I've uh, read it half a dozen times. It doesn't matter that I narrated it and produced <laughs> it on audio. I just I read it and I I'm just uh, there is yeah. something nice about and there there are maybe three or four books that I reread every five or six years and there mm -hmm. is something there's something magical about that mm -hmm. process. All right, next question: best voice male, best voice female of film and TV actors. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, current or of all time. Your, your choice. My choice. Okay. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Um, well, I could say Humphrey Bogart because he did, uh, he passed away in 1958, I want to say. Maybe it was 56. I don't remember. But he did a number of live uh, TV productions. And um, I have been and will always be in love with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, born on... Christmas Day of nineteen of eighteen ninety nine. Always called himself a last century man. Um, but in terms of uh, modern day, I would have to say Idris Elba. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's good. It's uh, um, yeah. Ordinarily, I would say Morgan Freeman. I've worked with him, and and we've actually had discussions about his voice. Um, I asked him one time, "What's your what's your greatest?" strength as an actor and he said gravitas the 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 sound. I, I see why he says that it's yeah. like there's and there's something so distinctive about his voice too you know the other voice of current day actors who reminds me a little bit of bogart mm -hmm. is clooney i think george clooney has a great yes. voice and he's also sort of in the way that bogart was not classically handsome and yet kind of handsome and women like him and has yeah. a voice it's anyway i think clooney has a good uh, voice totally yeah. How about the female side? Uh, the female side, I would have to say uh, Faye Dunaway. Mm. I go back to uh, Chinatown, and you know she is the ultimate femme fatale. Mm. Who and, does so? When I was driving to high school in the eighties, Howard Stern show was generally on sure. the radio, and he always he'd play this clip over and over again of some actress of that era, or maybe prior. Saying you just put your lips together and blow, blow, blow. Who, that who was, was that? Bogart. That's Bogart's wife. That is Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall. Okay. All right. You know how to blow. You know how to whistle. Yeah. So that was you. a good female voice. You just put your lips together. <laughs> I remember in high school thinking about blow. that one. <laughs> she. Um, I went to the uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart Film Festival. It was in uh, Key Largo. It was about five years ago, and it was the seventy-fifth anniversary of Casablanca, and uh, it was. Glorious. And their son, Stephen Bogart, uh, they named him Stephen because of the character that Bogart played in the film was Steve. And uh, uh, Stephen Bogart walks out and he stands in front of us and there's this image behind him on this huge screen behind him of you know, Bogart dipping Bacall in a kiss. Right, mm -hmm. He's just about to just plant one on her uh plant one on her lips and and uh and he looks at it and he turns around and looks at us and he says 
this movie, speaking, of course, of uh, To Have and Have Not, where the film where they met, where mm -hmm. she actually said that line, you know how to okay. whistle, don't Put you? Put your lips together. Put lips yeah. together and blow. <laughs> he looks at the image, and he looks at us, and he says, this movie is my reason for being. Hmm. Which we know, we know that's where his parents met and 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 he's Stephen Bogart and oh dear god he looks like both of his parents he's a really pretty Humphrey Bogart i mean if you can imagine that i mean mm -hmm. uh, come on his mom is you know Lauren Bacall Lauren yeah. Bacall of all things but it's surreal when you actually hear him say that oh that is cool it was glorious oh. all right next question favorite few tv shows to recommend to listeners well, I answered uh, the last really brief question with a really long answer. I will just go with uh, a very brief answer on this one. Ted Lasso. That is a great one. You know, I, I started season one. I'm a few episodes in and then somehow got distracted, but I was loving it and I'm, I'm going back. The, uh, the cast members are routinely stopped on the street by fans who tell them things like, I treat my family better because of your show. Wow. All right. Well, that's and, yeah. And I don't know that there's a better. I was going to say, what, what more would you want to hear? Listen, uh, Suzanne and I, we, we traveled here uh, to New York uh, from Los Angeles. And uh, when I you know, go into the Audio Awards or, you know, going off and doing a, uh, a reading at a, a scheduled event, she handed me a little green army man the way that Ted Lasso does in the show. He hands it. He hands out little green army men to people who were important and special to him. And he says, he'll look after you. I and love that. I've, I've traveled with that in my pocket this entire trip. That's great. It's like the military doing the coining thing. You know, they hand yes, a coin. Totally. Favorite podcast? Mm. Past, present, or future? Past, present, or future. Well, I tell you what, I, w I, I will say that I listen constantly to... You must remember this, uh, Karina Longworth. I, I live in Hollywood. I love learning about Hollywood history. Uh, but you just said future. Uh, so I will do a shameless plug. I'm developing a podcast about Hollywood history. Um, there is a true crime uh, that happened. I, I love the true crime genre. True, true crime is so yeah, fun. It's yeah. freaking, I mean, come on. Um, there is something that happened in 1921 that changed movie history forever. Hmm. Um, it's the, um, there was a, a, a party thrown by Roscoe Arbuckle, uh, who went under the name Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, I try not to use that term because he hated it. It, you know, it was, um, uh, he did it because he had to, but, um, a woman died at his party, Virginia Rappé. And, uh, I've been developing a, uh, podcast about it because I think even though it happened a hundred years ago, it could not be more relevant. Mm -hmm. When does this come out? Uh, wow. Great question. Uh, your mouth to God's ears, <laughs> probably a year from now. All right. Well, people are going to tune in just to hear the golden voice. You could be reading the Bible or the dictionary or something. People will come in for this thing. But if there's true crime, true crime to boot, people are all over it. Did you, did you name it yet? Uh, yes. I, I have, um, I'm going to call it uh, uh, Breaking the Silence. 
breaking the um, silence because yeah. uh, again so much of it it's it's about it's placing it in the context of a I don't want to say a post me too world but a world in which me too is a thing mm-hmm. right and we're not post me too mm-hmm. uh, that would suggest that that is that that isn't an issue anymore but this is a woman who is not allowed to defend herself in the way that that trial happened and uh i want to talk about its uh its its meaning its relevance and uh so uh uh what i'm going with is that uh we are breaking the silence on the issue but i'm um going to spell it s-i-l-e-n-t-s because it was the silent movie era nice i like that Okay, yeah. and gets again back to a, a passion project of yours. I know you're a fan of the sound of movies, which is ironic as the Golden Voice. But <laughs> it's so funny. This is an era, right? When when people when you had people who uh, uh, in, in film you had uh, images without words, and then you had in radio uh, uh, sound without pictures. Mm-hmm. And there's just something charming about that era to me. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of, it's always referred to as the golden age. And I, I think it's because they were, you know, they put so much effort into perfecting their method of storytelling. Yeah. You didn't need one. You, oh, you didn't, you didn't need both. You could you do could one, one without the other. And you, and uh, but there's you a, a particular emphasis on just the one, you know, yeah. that artistic expression of just the one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love audio. And, and that's why audio, I think, is making a, you know, a huge comeback. All right. Last question for Scott Okay. Brick. This is a big one. I'm going to get myself ready. Here one, we go. One piece of good advice for the listeners. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, boy, are the listeners, people who want to get into audiobooks, are the people who are listening, looking for good audiobooks, um, my piece of advice is that life is precious and it is short. I say this as a, uh, my father passed about a year and a half ago. I'll never be able to call him and, and uh, share good news with him again. Uh, but also I say this as somebody who um, has stories that he wants to tell. And there's a limited mm-hmm. opportunity. There's a limited window to do that. Embrace every day. If you have stories that you want to tell, do it. I'm a guy who turned his passion into a career. And I like to think that that's an option that's available to everybody. Suzanne, my fiance, um, she loves sports. She was an athlete. She wasn't allowed to play football. So she became a, a sports reporter. Ultimately, that led to her becoming an audiobook narrator. Suzanne Elise Freeman, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> but I think that we all have that option. Yeah. Do what you love. Find a way to turn it into doing what you do for a living. Yeah. It's, it's been a wonderful thing on my end. I love it. Scott, what a pleasure. Great to meet you. And Thanks so you. much for coming this in. This has been so much fun. If you enjoyed this podcast, please download, rate, subscribe, write a comment. Let me know the authors you want to hear from. I read all the comments. Thank you.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.